Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Mark Flickinger about a return to work for remote, hybrid, or fully in-person teams. Flickinger, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Jonathan, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited for this conversation today. We're going to be focusing on a quote-unquote return to work, looking at remote, hybrid, and fully in-person teams, and how we can navigate this, because it really is a complicated thing. I think pre-pandemic, many people were very resistant to remote work. Uh, but after the last 16 to 18 months, people have become more familiar with it, more comfortable with it, more comfortable with the technologies associated with it. Uh, and so some people are really resisting returning to the office in person. Uh, others, you know, some people really just really like the flexibility, the autonomy, they like not having the commute. And so they want to stay remote or at least hybrid. Uh, whereas many organizations, many leaders are wanting their people to come back. And of course, there's pros and cons to each approach. So we'll explore this a bit together today. As we get started, I wanted to share Mark's bio with everybody. Mark Flickinger is general partner and COO at Panoramic Ventures, a venture capital firm based in Atlanta that takes a wider view approach to investing by targeting the Southeast and Midwest and placing a focus on diverse founders and diversity startups. Panoramic opens new doors for often overlooked founders giving more entrepreneurs access to capital to build leading tech companies. The firm also hosts Startup Showdown, a monthly series of pitch competitions open to early stage software and tech enabled service businesses. Flickinger has served on numerous boards at entrepreneurial companies and oversees fundraising, investor relations, marketing, branding, talent acquisition, and acceleration at the firm. His academic background includes a bachelor's degree from Princeton University and an MBA from the University of North Carolina Keenan Flagler Business School. Starting as an undergraduate, Flickinger also spent a decade competing as a member of the U.S. National Rowing Team. Uh, what a tremendous background. Just throwing the rowing in there last minute, you know, that's a, a great, unique uh, little tidbit. I think that's wonderful. Um, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in? Sure. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, Keenan Flagler, just a quick comment that it's one of the only, if not the only, uh, business schools named after a female, which is great to hear. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's sad that that's so unique, isn't it? It is. It is sad. And that, I hope that has changed in my, uh, my data is out of date. But as of when we went there, or when I went there a couple of years ago, probably more than I'd care to admit, um, that was the case. But yeah, you know, I'm really excited about today's discussion. I think it's something everyone's grappling, you know, just from a background perspective, I kind of came up through operations. I worked at a couple of different firms and, and was in the operations side, whether it's project management or leadership with smaller organizations, 
have now been at Panoramic for about six years as we've grown and scaled our own organization, but also we have all these portfolio companies that are kind of struggling with the same thing. And it'll be fun to sort of dive in and, and discuss sort of the challenges, which seem to be changing on a, a daily basis, if not a weekly basis, uh, as we kind of navigate this pandemic. Yeah, it really is interesting. I'm sure everyone wishes we were past all of this by now. Uh, I remember when uh, we were still, I mean, what turns out to be early stages, as we were getting to the end of summer 2020, I thought for sure, you know, this this is something that's almost ready to be behind us. And that here we are a year later, and it doesn't seem like we're uh, all that close. Uh, and, and with the, the Delta variant and, and uh, the, the continued struggles and challenges. I think this is something organizations are going to continue to have to wrestle with. Uh, there are, are many firms, many tech companies, for example, that have just declared people can continue to work remotely indefinitely, and they're happy with that. Um, yet we see other companies that really want to get their people back into the office, but they want to do it safely. Uh, they don't want to put their people at risk. Uh, and of course, as I mentioned in the intro, there's really pros and cons to each of those approaches. And, and so let's dive on into that. And, you know, what really would you say from your experience working with a variety of firms uh, is the most important thing for teams to think about in, in trying to decide that, that balance between remote, hybrid, in-person uh, to foster collaboration, productivity, efficiencies, and ultimately innovation. Yeah, I think there's I think there's two sort of overlays that it's important to note before we dive into the discussions. I think the first is you, not every company has the luxury or challenge that we're faced with. So we're a VC firm. We were able to execute fairly effectively when we were forced to move into the remote environment, kind of early 2020. And I totally agree. You know, I, I have two daughters at home. And one of them has a birthday in June and the other one has a birthday in October. And, and both of them, I unintentionally uh, misled thinking that we would be through the pandemic for their birthday parties. Um, but, you know, this thing does continue to tail on. But I think you know, whether it's a manufacturing company, that's a different environment than the environment that I'm in, in terms of where my kind of framing my thinking. And I think the other one is the, the pandemic still exists. And so that kind of confuses how you would want to do what I would call the sort of the next or new normal or optimal way to have your employees. And so like we, we, everyone worked in the office because that's what we always did. There's this sort of, we came to the office because we were supposed to and at the office, all these wonderful things happened that we didn't necessarily realize happened, like creativity, collaboration, culture. These things sort of happened because we were in the office. And then, and there was a resistance against that because we really didn't know what would happen if we weren't in the office. And then, I mean, overnight, right? Overnight, we're all forced to work at home. I think broad brushstroke here, but there were a lot of businesses that were pretty effective working from home. I know for our perspective, you know, we were, call it a 10 to 15 person organization at the time. We had 30-ish investments into different portfolio companies through the combination of adrenaline, need, desire, and you know, technology, we were able to pretty effectively operate for an extended period of time. Meetings that didn't need to be meetings disappeared. We had more time. We were balancing. We weren't commuting. And so suddenly we were very effective at sort of running the organization. I think that the, what's happened now is over, over time, now we're kind of drift, drifting towards two years of, of that. You know, we've hired a bunch of employees 
and their experience is different. You know, when you go home with 10 to 12, 15 people that know each other, have this common connection, culture, et cetera, we know what we're driving towards. We're connected to the vision. We feel a part of that mission. But now we've, we've increased in size and suddenly those 10 to 15 people are starting to get the fatigue, right? Where, hey, I've been working from home for a long time and you kind of lose aspects of it consciously or subconsciously about sort of what, what, why am I doing this? Why do I get up and talk to a two-dimensional screen every day? And then as we bring these new employees on board, you know, we owe it to them to teach them, to learn, to indoctrinate them in, in sort of how to do things, not necessarily just the culture, but like there are things that you don't know when you start a new job. And we found those to be more difficult to try and execute when everyone's in this sort of at-home environment or even the optional kind of, hey, come or not come, you can work from wherever you want environment. So I would say that there's all of that, that piece, that sort of what's the new, the new best optimized option for employees is further confused because of the pandemic. You know, what you would want to do or even want to try is now it's like, well, should we try now or should we try it later? Should we, is now the right time to try it or should we wait? You know, and I, so I think there's this, we're working through that sort of where does the pendulum kind of fall out and we'll probably try some things and then make some tweaks to make it better. But on top of that, we're now, you know, whereas we thought we were kind of moving towards a period where we could move forward and keep everybody healthy and safe. Now we're sort of second guessing ourselves. You know, it's a little bit different because there's the vaccine, but you know, you don't want to put anyone in harm's way because that certainly is counter to being effective uh, employees in, in a great organization. Well, at the same time, we want to make sure that no one leaves just because they don't feel connected to what we're trying to do. Yeah, yeah, you raised some really important points there. Uh, and, and I think we often focus, when, when talking about this um, topic, uh, I've heard many people focus really on culture. And culture is super important. And culture, doing culture well in an organization where people are like physically together is hard enough doing it well when people aren't together uh, poses all new challenges. But you raised another issue, and that is what happens when you, you've gone remote and now all of a sudden you're hiring people that have never worked together. It's one thing for people who have worked together, who know each other, who are comfortable with each other, to then all of a sudden transition to remote work or hybrid work. It's something else entirely when you have brand new people that aren't part of the organization previously. They don't understand the culture. They don't understand the processes, the procedures. They don't understand all the, just like you said, the little things that go into just working effectively together in an office space. And, and now they're trying to feel a connection, a connection to culture, but a genuine connection to just people, right? A, a connection to their colleagues. And, and that speaks to the importance of onboarding. And have we been doing onboarding effectively during the pandemic? Personally, I think most organizations don't do very well with onboarding um, anyways, but in general, I, I think right? in general, but I think, I think during the pandemic, it's been even more of a challenge for sure. And so there are people, you know, and, and people in this labor market, uh, employees have options, right? They can go lots of places, uh, especially those in technical fields and STEM fields. And so, yeah, if, if you get into an organization and you get the, the Zoom fatigue and you don't feel connected and you don't feel like you've really been onboarded, uh, I, I think the chances of, of those individuals going to, to the next opportunity, you know, are just higher. And so th these are all the things we definitely want to grapple with. Um, so balancing that need and the collaborative needs, the innovative needs of bringing people together, 
um, with the health needs as well as just the cost efficiencies, the time efficiencies associated with virtual work. Um, what, you know, what, how would you try to strike that balance for your business going forward uh, and any suggestions for other companies and people listening who are leaders in other organizations trying to grapple with that, recognizing, as you said, with the caveat that, of course, every organization is unique uh, and, and ultimately there's no one size fits all here. Everyone has, has to grapple with this and figure out what they want to do for their organization. Yeah, we're, we're moving into some multivariable calculus with all these different puts and takes on what we're trying to do. You know, I, I think the role of the leader has changed a little bit in terms of how you communicate to your organization. And whereas before you could model behavior and it would be absorbed in the occasional meeting, people would absorb sort of how things happen. I think we all have a role now to be really overt about expectations and the why. You know, I, I know from our organization, I personally think there's value in this sort of what's currently called the hybrid model, which I think will become just the way that you work in the future. Um, but I think there's value in being able to, we all have some combination of strategic vision. We, I need to be in an environment, a group environment to work together and connect things. And then we all have just work that needs to get done. That's more of an individual endeavor. And, uh, you know, I'll use my own experience. I would prefer to be home on the days when I'm going to be doing mostly those types of work because I'm uninterrupted. I can really focus. I can get a lot of things done. But at the same time, I think there's a role and a responsibility to be connected with the organization and be in the office so people can ask me questions that I haven't thought needed to be asked, you know, because we, we, we haven't communicated something the way it needs to be communicated. So I think there's this sort of role of how you work and when you work, and we can come back to that in a second but also the overt communication. You know, I think a mistake that leaders will make now and when in this sort of rush to do something, whether that's, hey, we're scared of the, the potential for illness, scared is too strong a word, but we're aware of the, the, the potential for illness, so therefore everyone stay home, or we need everybody back in the office, and there's a whole host of reasons behind that. But I think people forget the why. You know, before we could just say, hey, come to the office because that's what everyone does. And I think particularly in this labor market, that is, as you mentioned, if you're looking for a job, it's a great market to be in. Um, we have to tell people why. You know, we're not just saying come back to the office because that's what we used to do. We, we, there's value to the organization for you to come back in the office. Let me articulate what that value is. There's value to you as an individual contributor in your own professional career whether you stay with us for the rest of your life or you move on to something else, you coming into the office is valuable to you because let me tell you what you're going to get out of being in the office. And then I think the conversation moves from, uh, hey, you're coming into the office because I told you to and you may or may not like that. But, oh, I get it. I see the why, well, why I should come into the office. I see how that helps me. I see how that helps the organization. It reduces some frictions. And you're giving me the opportunity to still kind of be in this hybrid environment as I did. I mean, we, we allowed people voluntarily to come back really early. We're a small organization. And so we were, we were able to do that. We had our own protocol of sort of, if you come into the office X, Y, or Z, that was launched back in 2020. But a lot of people wanted to come back because they, were, they started to set their meetings up so that if they're in the office, even if they're in an environment where they're spaced out in a big room and no one's close to each other because of social distancing, it was better to be in the same location, have those meetings. And then, as I said before, go do those other stuff on their own. And so it almost organically happened. 
But I think as a leader, we miss the opportunity to overtly communicate this value of creativity, collaboration, culture, mission, vision, these kind of big words that people use a lot and why people, it's good for the organization and good for them to be back in the office. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Yeah, I think that is so important. And really connecting back to the why is something we should always be doing as leaders. Uh, So often, it's just easier. It seems faster to just tell someone to do something. And and if I have to take the time to explain the why, you know, you know, then I just feel like I'm, I'm uh, continuing to just churn stuff when I just want to hand something off, have someone else do it. And just have them do it, right? Um, but the why is really, really important. It's it's a key to to real delegation. And if you really want to partner and collaborate with other people, there has to be a shared understanding, and there has to be that shared why. So whether you're in person, remote, hybrid, whatever, getting to that why is always important. But you, you've you've really articulated well why it's extra important when in this kind of an environment you're trying to bring bring people back to the office space or. Or if you're just just scheduling meetings, like you talked about earlier about how your organization had to wrestle with, like we've done all this stuff in the past just because that was what we've always done. That was the tradition. These were the norms within our organization. We hold these meetings. This is the regular cadence. And then all of a sudden you have to step back and think about it. Do we really need to do all of these things? Do we need to do them at the the rate we were doing them before? Is this meeting important? Do do we really need to have this meeting, right? What's the why behind each of these things? And if there's not a clear why, then by goodness, just get rid of it um, because you're just wasting people's time. Uh, and, And I've seen that in many organizations who have pivoted well and adjusted well in this, uh, this current climate, um, they, they've really done that. They've asked the why consistently, and they've listened to their people about th- the connection of all those whys. But then I've seen, in contrast, I've seen other organizations that have really struggled. <laughs> and instead of like challenging the why and, and trying to understand it, and then pruning back the things that weren't necessary, they're just adding more and more on. Uh, and I've seen organizations 
you know, where they all of a sudden they're like, oh, this is super easy to have huge meetings now with on Zoom. And so rather than like trimming back unnecessary meetings, now we're adding tons of meetings uh, and we're inviting way more people to them because it's all virtual and we, we're not constrained by physical space. And that, in my opinion, uh, is a recipe for failure and it's, it's a recipe for frustration. And it's kind of the, the, the opposite of what you're describing, like those ideal times when it's good to have people together physically in the same room, when there's creative strategic decision-making that has to happen, where you can have richer interaction in person rather than, you know, looking at each other through the, the screen. Uh, so, so getting to that why, just really, really important. I, I hope anyone listening will just consider how, how do you do that? Um, how do you do that on a daily basis with your people? Because I think that's in part at the heart of, of what a good leader does and what good leadership is. Yeah, you made me think of uh, one of my professors at Keenan Flagler, we mentioned it earlier. He had a saying, he said, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And he, he, he sort of, he was doing it in a particular case, but I, I've kind of taken that as a, as a good way to, to roll through life. Just because you can have a thousand people on a Zoom call doesn't mean you should have a thousand people on a Zoom call when you're thinking about what the goal is. You know, can you, can you deliver that context in a way where it's async, asynchronous, right? Where someone can consume a five to 10 minute video uh, sometime during the course of the day, as opposed to tuning into to one of these Zoom calls. I think, you know, the, the advent or the, I shouldn't say advent, the adoption of Zoom has been wonderful in a lot of different ways. I mean, we're, we're able to do things and connect with people that we wouldn't be able to before. You know, as a VC firm, we fundraise from time to time. And, you know, that has been redefined how you fundraise. I think we also like to meet companies that we invest in in person. That has also been redefined. And, and, and it made me think of it when you were saying, you know, we've, we've helped to sort of squeeze out the inefficient times of our day. It's great to have a Zoom call first, right? I mean, I, we can meet people, see if there's common commonality, common ground, some value in us taking the next step. And then you can go in person. You know what I think? Because everybody said, well, if we're going to do this, you have to meet in person. We kind of, and we didn't have the technology to support it you're making a lot of trips that you may not needed to make, you know, and those are, those are inefficient in and of themselves as, as much fun or dread as they bring out of whoever is doing the travel. Um, so I, you know, I think there's ways for us to continue to get benefit out of this sort of bad thing that's happened to sort of get benefit out of how we structure our organizations, but people have to be open and willing to sort of adopt it and sort of see what are these open doors that it's created for me and how can I best use them for my organization? I think another thing that everyone's kind of grappling with is, you know, when, when, the, when the pandemic first hit, we really didn't have anything to do but work. You know, if you, were, if you were able to move your work home and take your work home, it kind of became a, sort of a, a little bit sick friend, you know, you, because you always could find someone to do work with and you we could work around the clock. There's this sort of adrenaline aspect of I've never lived through a pandemic before. And so we kind of blurred all these lines together of personal and professional. And I think one of the things that you have to be careful with how you navigate this one, but as we come back into sort of allowing things into our lives, like travel or commuting or sports teams for your kids or being able to go out to dinner with someone, whether that's for work or personally, we have to recognize that those lines have to kind of unblur a little bit somehow. And uh, you know, what, I, otherwise, I think you run the risk of, again, kind of turning off an employee that could be a great employee. If you, if you look at all these sort of potential cracks in the foundation of your connection with your employees, 
and they don't feel connected. They don't understand the why. And then suddenly they're being asked to work as if they had nothing else to do over the course of the week, but you're asking them to go to a dinner or an event or a function or something like that. You know, I think, I don't know how to handle that one. That's one that I'm still sort of working with because you don't want to come across and say, oh, no, don't work as hard. That's not the intent. But it is a different environment where there's sort of untethered, there's sort of no bounds. And now the ask, whether it's professional or personal, is kind of putting back in these in-person events and that that in and of itself uses up time and therefore there's less hours in the week to do other stuff. And you'd hate to burn out one of your employees that was a superstar through the kind of 18 months we've been through thus far, just because you didn't recognize that, you know, expectations continue to change. Right. That's a really good point. And, and just the balance element in life, like you said, during the pandemic, I think for a lot of people, self-included, you know, it got out of whack because, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm working, I'm, I'm back in my office right now, but uh, I've been working predominantly for the last 18 months from the corner of my bedroom, you know, and, <laughs> and helping, you know, my kids doing school at home and, and everything like that. And it's just been challenging. Um, but because it's been convenient, uh, you know, it's really easy to just hop on extra meetings to, to work into the night after the kids go to bed, whatever, uh, and not being able to go out and do other things. You know, part of it's just intellectual stimulation, like just wanting to do something right. and not watch more Netflix. Um, right. <laughs> but, uh, but at some point, you know, where there, there are these other activities that open back up and you're able to do it, I want to be able to spend the time with my kids doing the things we used to do. I don't want to be working, you know, as much as perhaps I had been working this past 18 months. And so just, you said something really important and that is just recognizing and acknowledging that people do have lives outside of work. Um, I, I think if we can do that and be genuine about that and just communicate with our people, then we can navigate kind of this recalibration that's gonna to have to happen. It happened when the pandemic hit and we had to, you know, on a dime move to remote work. It's gonna to have to happen as we move back into the workplace, uh, in a hybrid environment or whatever, uh, and just navigating the flow of, of the workday and the type, the expectation for the, the work that gets done um, during that day and during the week. So these are all the types of things we have to wrestle with as we move forward, while also balancing the need for human connection. We're social animals. We, we need to connect with other people. Even introverts need other people <laughs> in their lives. And when, and when we don't have it, um, th there are consequences. There are mental health consequences. There's productivity consequences. Uh, and certainly innovation and collaboration consequences. And so, uh, you know, I, I suppose we've probably raised more questions than we've answered during our conversation today, but, you know, that's important. It's important for everyone to really just think about these things, to have the open, uh, transparent conversations with your people and, and try to tackle, you know, what this can look like for you. And then just iterate, like, you don't have to get it perfect in the first iteration, just try things out, see how it's working and be flexible enough to, to adjust. Uh, and if we do that, I think we'll be able to navigate this and come out on top. Well, Mark, it has been a real pleasure talking with you today. I, I'm conscious of the time and I recognize uh, our time is almost over, but before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, your organization, and then give us a final word on the topic. for Great, thanks, John. I really enjoyed the conversation. You know, uh, you can get in touch with me on, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Uh, we also have panoramic 
venture.panoramic.vc is our website for panoramic ventures. And then we have another one named startupshowdown.vc. And the reason I bring those up are you mentioned in, in the, when we kicked this off, this monthly pitch competition that we have called Startup Showdown. Um, those happen every month. They're free for anyone to participate. Now, every, every month we bring a new group of finalists. They're doing innovative, exciting new things. Think, think Shark Tank uh, in sort of an unproduced real life way. For the winner, each time we have a panel of guest judges, we do invest in. So anyone who is interested in participating, either as an entrepreneur that wants to uh, apply or just to watch, uh, go to startupshowdown.vc and you can check it out. And then same thing from a panoramic ventures perspective. We, you mentioned earlier sort of our mission and vision and what we're trying to do. We really want to be accessible. Uh, so there's ways on our website that anyone can connect with us, uh, depending on what your interest is in, in coordinating with panoramic. And I think final word on the comment or on the topic for today is, I mean, you, you kind of said it there, but I'll just reiterate. I think that there's an opportunity, you know, and wouldn't wish the pandemic on anyone. And certainly there's been a lot of heartache and loss. I think if we're trying to go silver lining on it, and perhaps that's too soon, but I do think if we're open to it and we navigate this in the right way, we will end up in a better place in terms of a work environment where we will have happier, more efficient and more productive companies, employees, et cetera, because we've been forced to use all these things that kind of were sitting around on the sideline. We never took the time to adopt. And if we do it the right way, and as you said, we try something, we iterate, we move forward. I think we'll get to a place where we, we have the hybrid model, sort of the new optimum, you know, how we optimize the, the organization going forward. And it's not going to be a straight line. You know, overnight we had to swing the pendulum kind of 180 degrees in the other direction. And now we're navigating sort of, okay, well, what do we want to take back? What do we not want to take back? And all of this comes down to communication um, to get to what I think will be a better place than, than we were able to have before we were forced to try something new. Yeah, amen. I, I think that's well said. Uh, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate all of your insights that you've shared today. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, to check out what you and your organization can do for them. Check out the pitch competition. I think that's just so cool that anyone can, can watch. And it is a bit different when you're watching a real live pitch session as opposed to watching Shark Tank. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so it might, you might find it uh, useful. Um, thank you, Mark. It has been a pleasure. I, again, I encourage people to reach out, get connected. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you have a great week. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. 
check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.